right, guys, let's open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 23. I did forget one announcement. Tomorrow there's men's discipleship at 6 a.m. at the church office. If you want to go and you want to tell your dad to go, 6 a.m., 5.45, you can get there, eat some snacks and breakfast, and then hear God's Word early in the morning. Okay, I want to read your story, a funny story I read online. I hope you enjoyed it, as I did. So there was a pond, right? And in this pond, there were two ducks and a frog. They were best friends. They played together all day during the summer. But as the cold drew near, the water dried up. The ducks realized they would have to move to another pond. But what about their friend, the frog? This would be easy for them. But, you know, frog can't fly. Finally, it was decided. They would put a stick on each bill. And the frog would hang from the stick using his mouth. And up they flew. As they're flying, a farmer looked up and said to his wife, What a great idea. I wonder who thought of that. Proudly, the frog said, I did. Thus illustrating, pride goes before a fall. Literally. Get it? Like, he opened his mouth and he fell because he was older. Anyways. Today, we're going to learn how Jesus instructs on pride and humility. And in this story, the frog's pride caused him to fall because he wanted the farmers to know how great his idea was of coming up with moving to another pond. Those who think highly of themselves, in this case, the Jewish religious leaders, will also fall and be humbled unless they put on humility and think others. I think about others first instead of themselves. Let's read today's passage in Matthew chapter 23, verses 1. We're going to go all the way to 12. The Word of God says, Then Jesus spoke to the crowds and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. Therefore, all that they tell you, do and observe. But do not do according to their deeds, for they say things and do not do them. They tie up heavy burdens and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are unwilling to move them with such much as a finger. So much as a finger. But they do all their deeds to be noticed by men, for they broaden their phylacteries and lengthen their tassels of their garments. They love the place of honor at banquets and the chief seats in the synagogues, and respectful greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by men. But do not be called rabbi. For one is your teacher, and you are all brothers. Do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father, he who is in heaven. Do not be called leaders, for one is your leader, that is Christ. But the greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself shall be humbled, and whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. We just finished studying verses 15 through 46 in chapters 22. And on three separate occasions, we see the Pharisees and the Sadducees trying to discredit Jesus and his teachings. The first occasion we read was when the Pharisees and the Herodians come and try to get Jesus on taxes. Jesus, are we supposed to pay taxes, yes or no? And what does our great Lord respond in verse 21 of chapter 22? They said to him, Caesar's. Then he said to them, Then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. The second occasion we studied was when the Sadducees tried to 
come and get Jesus on the issue of the resurrection. And we see his masterful response in verses 31 and 32. For regarding the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was spoken to you by God? I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. Seeing the Sadducees being defeated, the Pharisees try and come back one more time. And they test him. And they ask him, what is the greatest commandment of them all? And we know that there's about 613. And they were trying to see which one was he going to choose to see if they can get him. But we see he responds with the authority that only God has. In 37 through 40. And he said to them, of chapter 22, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. So today we're going to see a different approach. Now Jesus, they came at him three times. And he respectfully, lovingly answered. But now he's going to go on the offense. And he's going to directly confront and rebuke the religious leaders of what they're doing. Of what they're truly doing in Israel. Not only does he massively discredit them with their trap in the previous chapter, but he will expose to the crowds their flawness, their flaws in their hypocrisy and in their pride. And he's going to teach them what a true servant of God should, how a true servant of God should behave. Today's outline consists of two parts. Part one, Jesus instructs on hypocrisy and pride, verses one through seven. And in part two, Jesus instructs on true humility, verses eight through twelve. The main idea of today's passage that I want you guys to have in your mind as we read and study is believers should constantly check their hearts for hypocrisy and pride and instead put on humility by serving others. I know that the whole outline is not there today. We're going to go through the outline as we go through the verses. Also, I would highly encourage you, listen up, I would highly encourage you to make sure you write down all the cross references that we use today because part of today is putting off sin Renewing our minds with the Word of God and putting on righteousness. And how do you renew your mind with the Word of God? And the Bible verses that we'll use today directly talk about the issues of hypocrisy and pride. So make sure you write them down as you write down your notes. So let's begin with the first part of this conversation. Jesus instructs the religious leaders on hypocrisy and pride. And this instruction begins by Jesus explaining... Their authority. Bullet point A, their authority. Verse 1 says, Then Jesus spoke to the crowds and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. Then meaning right after the events just mentioned, right after the three events that he masterfully uh, answers the, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, this occurs. So let's visualize what's going on here. He was just attacked, tried to be, tried to be discredited. It all failed. He's been not holding anger because he doesn't have that. But he's like, okay, go ahead, come, I'll answer, come, I'll answer. But now he's going to talk to the crowds. He's going to address the religious leaders. He's going to do this where? In their headquarters, Jerusalem. This is where he's going to bring the reality of their spiritual condition as leaders of Israel. This is going to be a, cloud, a loud and clear confronting message for all to hear, Jesus is not holding back. He begins with an assertion. The scribes have seated themselves 
in the chair of Moses. But before we talk about the desertion, let's talk about who who the crowd is and who is there, right? So, first the crowd. Jesus is popular, right? He came into Jerusalem triumphantly as king. He's beating and using his wisdom to defeat the Pharisees and the Sadducees in their arguments. He had just raised Lazarus from the dead. Remember, that's how that's why he was such a, a commotion when he was coming into Jerusalem. So because of this, he had a crowd, and people were listening and paying attention. Then you have the scribes. The scribes are they're specialists in the laws of Moses, experts in the law, scholars versed in the law. You have the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the priests that ruled Israel. And finally, you have his 12 disciples and maybe other followers in this crowd. So this assertion, how he begins to address the hypocrisy and pride of the religious leaders. The scribes and the Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. Jesus references this seat as one of authority. This seat is one of authority. One that had the responsibility to interpret and teach the law of Moses to the people. Why does he reference Moses? Well, we know that Moses was the greatest prophet to ever live, except for John the Baptist, of course. John the Baptist is the greatest, and then Moses. And everyone respects Moses, right? And Moses, in Exodus chapter 18, was also in charge to tell others to help him how he would teach these statutes to the people. In Exodus chapter 18, verses 19 to 21, we see here he's learning how to delegate because it's a lot of people for him on his own. So his father-in-law said, Jess, now listen to me. I will give you counsel, and God be with you. You be the people's representative before God, and you bring the disputes to God, and then teach them the statues and the laws, and make known to them the way in which they are to walk and the work they are to do. Furthermore, you should select out of all the people able men who fear God, men of truth, those who hate dishonest gain, and you shall place these over them as leaders of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. A commentator wrote, There were no more prophets after the exile, and the scribes inherited the primary role of spiritual leadership in Israel. In Jesus' day, scribes were found among both the Pharisees and the Sadducees, but more commonly associated with the Pharisees. So that is why they are seated on this seat of authority. At this moment, at this time, the scribes the Pharisees are in charge of teaching the law of Moses to the people of Israel. So he continues with a command. Therefore, all that they do, all that they tell you, do and observe. All that they tell you, do and observe. Therefore, directly connects with the sentence we just read. It means consequently, so it would read something like, the scribes and the Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. Consequently, all that they tell you, do and observe. As much as they instruct you, obey and keep. What is Jesus doing here? He's validating their authority as God's leaders at that time over the people of Israel. What Jesus is saying, as a commentator puts it, immediately obey and keep on obeying whatever the scribes and Pharisees teach you if it follows God's word. If it follows God's word. Because guys, guess what? Regardless of the leaders teaching it, God's word is truth. Right? 
God's word is truth. The, the word of God remains the same. And also, not every Pharisee was a bad guy. We have some Pharisees like Nicodemus and Gamaliel, right, who feared God and who taught the people well. So why does Jesus say only do what they only do what they say, but not what they do? These, this leads up to the second bullet point in our outline today in the first part of Jesus' instruction on humility and our pride and, and, and uh, hypocrisy, which is hypocrisy. Bullet point B, hypocrisy. Now, this is important here. Before we get into the hypocrisy, I want us to go back to the theme of the message. Believers should constantly check their hearts for hypocrisy and pride and instead put on humility by serving others. As we read the following verses and as we study them, I pray that you ask God to allow you to check your heart to see if any of the behaviors that we're going to talk about today you struggle with. And remember, every time we read about the Pharisees, what is our tendency to do? Eh, can't wait to be that person. What a guy. No, let's not do that. I would ask that you, with humility, ask the Lord to please reveal to us what is in our hearts through His Word and the power of the Holy Spirit. That's how I want you to approach what we're about to read right now. Okay? Don't think, this is not for me. This is for all of us. This is the Word of God. Amen? So have that in your mind. All that they tell you to do and observe, and all that they tell you do and observe, but do not do according to their deeds. That's the commandment he's giving. Do what they tell you to do if, if it's in the Word of God, if it's in the Torah, if it's in the in the books, if it's in the law of Moses, but do not do according to their deeds. But here can be translated at the same time. Okay? All that they tell you to do, do and observe, and at the same time, do not do according to their deeds. These religious leaders were not practicing what they were preaching. They knew the law, they taught the law, but did not practice the true meaning of the law. We know that for Jesus, deeds are important. They will not merit your salvation. They will not get you to heaven. But they are an evidence that you are saved, that you are his disciple. If you love me, you follow my commandments. Remember when we spoke about the fig tree, about trees that don't produce good fruit? What happens to them? Matthew 7, verses 15 through 19. Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So, why not do according to the deeds? Well, because he, he explains. For they say things and do not do them. For they say things and do not do them. They instruct those on what to do, but they themselves don't practice it. They can talk the talk, but they don't walk the walk. Guys, it's easy to tell others what to do. It's more difficult to actually practice what you preach. What do you call this type of behavior? Anybody? Hypocrisy. The definition for hypocrisy is the practice of claiming to have moral standards or beliefs to which one's behavior does not conform. That is hypocrisy. 
Paul also explains this hypocrisy not only from the Jewish leaders, but also the Jewish people as well in Romans 2, verses 19 through 24. And are confident that you yourselves are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, a corrector of the foolish, a teacher of the immature, having the law, the embodiment of knowledge and of the truth. You therefore who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that one shall not steal, do you steal? You who say that no one should commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You abhor idols, do you rob temples? You boast in the law, though you're breaking the law, do you dishonor God? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, just as it is written. What type of, what kind of, what does this hypocrisy, how can that look like in our lives? How about judging others when they don't read their Bible? Or you're in a small group and, you know, oh, how's your Bible reading? And you're like, well, I, I, I could do better. And you're in, in your side, like, how dare you? How can you not read the Bible? You read yourself every day. It's very easy to judge others, right, upon that. What about you listen to sermons and you, and you think in your, in your mind, man, I really hope this person's listening to this because this is for him. Man, this is for him. That's hypocrisy. Every, every sermon is for each and every one of us. And that's why I made that comment to, to make sure well, as we read this, we ask God to help and to open our eyes to, to any sin that we might have when it comes to pride and hypocrisy. What else do they do that we should not follow? Verse 4. They tie up heavy burdens and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are unwilling to move them with so much as a hand. The heavy burdens that Jesus is speaking of here is the made-up laws that are outside of the Torah that they developed that made it almost impossible to live by. The imagery here indicates that just as physical objects would bear down and be difficult to carry on one's shoulders, so would the guilt of not practicing these made-up laws and how heavy the soul might feel of constantly failing again and again to not do these laws, to not perform to the best that these laws demand. However, these religious, some of them were known for practicing these laws. But what did they do? They did little help to help those who were struggling with keeping with the law. A commentator wrote, The shoulders were the place for carrying weighty burdens, putting the entire strength of the body under the burden. In contrast, the finger resented the weakest part of the body. The hypocrites put forth no effort to aid their followers in pleasing God, which was, fundam- which was the fundamental purpose of God's Word. So what were they doing? They were trying to put this law, this burden on people that they themselves sometimes could handle, majority of times didn't handle, and when the people couldn't follow the laws, they would get frustrated and they would feel condemned and guilty all the time because they saw the Pharisees in the marketplaces doing and showing off and they would think to themselves, I'm unworthy. And instead of the Pharisees and the religious leaders helping them, assisting them through the God's word to to please God, to, to live a life that honors God, they were far from it. They were far from it. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 11, 28 and 30, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, for you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. 
See the difference between the Pharisees and Jesus? Jesus led with compassion, with love, with mercy. Pharisees led with pride, putting you down so they can feel better about themselves. Jesus offers this same rest for us today. I encourage you to stop believing that you can save yourself. Stop feeling guilty for every time you fail to uphold your own standards of salvation. Jesus paid a price for your salvation. His works are the ones that matter, not yours. The Bible says that if you repent and believe in Christ and put your faith only in Him, that you too can find rest in Him. How do you know you're going to heaven? Your only answer can only be because of God. Because God saved me and called me for Himself. Because Christ died on the cross for my sins. Because after I was regenerated by the Holy Spirit, I was able to call on Him to save me. I repented for my sins and I placed my faith only in Christ for my salvation. See, when Jesus heard what the Pharisees were doing to the people and He offered this rest to the people, He proved His leadership, one of love and compassion. Not putting others down to exalt himself, but loving as a true shepherd, bearer, or a true pastor would do. Let me ask you a question. How many of you have placed burdens on yourself that are not biblical and judge others when they don't adhere to your standards that are placed so high? Think about that question. How many times do we put standards on our lives that are not biblical? And we involve others. I encourage you. Stick to the Bible. Stick to what the Bible clearly teaches. Most importantly, don't burden others with your issues of conscience. Those are yours to abide by, not others. Those are yours to not sin against. But don't put them in anyone else's mind. That's a way that this can relate to us in 2022. Where you have your issues of conscience and you think that your way is the only way and you judge other, other people's spiritual condition based on, you name the issue of conscience. Let's let, let's let that aside. Put that away. Everyone here has parents. Let them deal with their parents and how they're going to deal with those issues of conscience. But it's not your role and your job to make everyone believe how you believe. Because what you believe is the right way. Amen? That causes division. And we don't want that. God doesn't want that for His church. So don't place burdens that are not on the Bible on your life and leave issues of conscience alone. Leave them to yourself and your parents. Don't make others have this burden that's not there. Hopefully you were convicted as I was when it comes to hypocrisy. Now let's ask God to help us search our heart for pride as we study the next verses so that we can repent and then renew our minds with God's truth and put on humility. Jesus now takes the conversation to bullet point C of instructing on pride and humility. Bullet point C is pride. Verse 5. But they do all their deeds to be noticed by men, for they brought in their phylacteries and lengthened the tassels of their garments. See, the reason why Jesus will emphasize in the next verses their desires to be seen was because some of the Pharisees did actually adhere to the ridiculous laws. And what did they do? They wanted to show others how great they were in keeping not only the 613, but the other 100 laws that they created. 
by putting them down and making them feel inferior because they cannot be as holy as they were. So what are the things that they're doing to be seen by men? Let's start with the first one. Brought in their phylacteries. What is a phylactery? It's a small leather case or box. You're going to see a picture of it. Worn on the forehead and on the left forearms containing selected scriptures from Exodus to Deuteronomy. Okay. A commentator wrote that this was to be born only during prayer time. But what were the Pharisees and the religious leaders doing? They were wearing it all the time. What was the purpose of it? To prove to others how long they pray. Look at me, how great I am. I'm a prayer warrior. I have this on my head and on my forearm. Deuteronomy 6, 8, the, the Shema. Uh, a lot of you know it. These words which I, com- I, com- I command you today shall be on your hearts. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. We're going to see that this is not to be taken literal, but they did. We're going to see why. What else did they do? Well, they also lengthened the tassels of their garments. A tassel is a... where These were required by... The Mosaic Law to have attached to the corners of their clothing. In Numbers chapter 15, verses 38 to 39, Speak to the sons of Israel and tell them that they shall make for themselves tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generations, and that they shall put on their tassel for, uh, of each corner a cord of blue. It shall be a tassel for you to look at and remember all the commandments of the Lord. As to do them, and to not follow after your own heart and your own eyes, after which you played the harlot. These two symbols, next slide, this is what the uh, tassel looks like. So you see the, the little strings that are on the bottom? That's what these tassels would look like. And they were no, a normal size. What the Pharisees would do, they would just make them longer. Right? They're like, look at me. I, I'm constantly reminded of the commandments to follow God, and I see them here and there. And again, it's to show others. But the truth is, these, these were symbols of remembrance, an inward reminder of God's law, but they made it a means to call attention to themselves. I guess a modern-day equivalent among us would be somebody buying like a huge Bible and bringing it and saying, look how spiritual and holy I am. There's nothing wrong with a big Bible, please. Don't get me wrong. All the Bibles, especially if you have like a, a study Bible, they're going to be big. But it's the intention of your heart. Are you buying it because you want others to see how spiritual you are? Or are you buying it because, hey, that's the only Bible that you, you want and you want a study Bible? And, and it's okay. But you see the difference is your heart attitude and your, the intention of your heart. What about another example can be serving the Lord for others to see instead of doing it out of obedience and love towards God. Choosing a ministry that are visible and those that aren't, right? The band, everyone sees the band. Of course, that's where I want to be, so everyone can see my gifts and how I play these instruments. Check yourself. There's nothing wrong with serving in the band. There's nothing wrong with preaching the Word of God. There's nothing wrong with that. But it's the intention of your heart. Why do you do it? Do you do it so others can see how spiritual you are? Do you do it to see, so others can see and praise you? Or do you do it because you love and honor God? I hope it's the latter. The, the majority of us want to serve God and love God and honor Him with our service. And it's okay that you aspire to teach one day from, from the pulpit and, and, to, and to be in the band, but it's the intention of your heart that you do it because you want to honor God, not because you want to be seen. Amen? 
What else do they do? Let's be seen by men. They love the place of honor at banquets and the chief seats in the synagogues. The place of honor here in the Greek refers to a space of preeminence for reclining at a dining table. A commentator wrote, The place of honor and important seats were reserved for the most spiritual, those with the highest authority and greatest wisdom. If you're a Pharisee or a religious leader, that's where you want to sit. This obviously is a place of importance for everyone to see. I guess what would be the equivalent of this? Maybe you go to a birthday party and you want to sit next to a birthday person. Like you want to be close to them. You don't want to be away from them because you're like, oh, man, maybe people are going to think that I'm not good friends with the person. Or maybe you go to school and there's like the popular table. Like, oh, man, I, I, I don't want to sit at that table. Nothing wrong with wanting to sit with your best friend on his birthday or maybe, you know, being part of the popular table. But it's, again, what's the attitude and the intention of your heart? Is it your life's purpose to sit there and you've reached <laughs> You've reached your purpose in life because you got to that table. That's pretty. That's not a right attitude before the Lord. Regarding the chief seats in the synagogues, a commentator noted, just as churches today, synagogues had a, an elevated stage where the pulpit stood, and some of these stages had like special seating for like rabbis that were visiting. So those were seats of honor, equivalents today uh, at our churches. We leave the front row usually for any guest speakers to, to come because it's going to be more comfortable for him to just come and go and, and speak. Um, I saw this at the Shepherds Conference. It's like the auditorium holds like 3,700 people, and the first two rows were basically all the teachers that they invited to teach. You had Lawson, A.C. Charles, John MacArthur, you know, all the, you know, they were there. That's a place of honor. Not that I'm saying that they did that on purpose and they were there because they wanted to be seen. No, it's just reserved for a special purpose like that. One of the things that impacted me the most, actually, when I went to Countryside, was this huge church. And then all of a sudden, once you start seeing the pastors, they actually, unless they're preaching, they're actually sitting in amongst the people. And that talks a lot about the leadership, the humility of, you know, they're just with the people. They're not on the, because I'm used to going to churches where all the pastors were only in the front row and they never went anywhere else, right? So that's, that's important. That's a blessing. What does the Lord teach about sitting at places of honor? Luke 14, 7 through 11 says, And he began speaking a parable to the invited guests when he noticed how they had been picking out the places of honor at the table, saying to them, When you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for someone more distinguished than you maybe have been invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, Give your place to this man, and in disgrace you proceed to occupy the last place. But when you are invited, go and recline at the last place, so that when the one who has invited you comes, he may say to you, Friend, move up to higher. Then you will have honor in the sight of all who are at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. What else do they do to be seen? Verse 7. And they love respectful greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by men. Respectful greetings in the marketplace refers to wanting to be called an important name so others around might see who you are. Being called rabbi was really important at that time. Rabbi is an honor, honorific and respectable term of address for a teacher of the Mosaic Law. It's kind of like the equivalent of being called a doctor today, right? So what does this look like? You know, have you ever, maybe, have somebody who was a doctor and you talking to them and you didn't refer them by their title there. Hold on a second. Uh, my name 
or, or maybe a spiritual leader. You call him by his name. What are you saying to me? Pastor. <laughs> you know? People, people do that, right? And it, and it could happen. But there's nothing wrong with wanting to be called doctoral or even a pastor. But we always go, have to go back to the heart. Is it to show your intellectual ability so others can see how great you are, that you studied 12 years to be a doctor and everything, and whoa, there's a doctor. Is it to feel superior with the, superior than with, with the person that you're talking to? Or does being called the title humble you? And it reminds you to be thankful with the Lord for the gift that He's given you to be where you are. Doctor, pastor, whatever title you have. Jesus was called a rabbi. So was John the Baptist in John 3.3. These men were worthy of the title by their actions. They never forced anyone to call him that. Their merit gave him that title. Commentator wrote, Jesus' teaching was not a prohibition of the use of titles, but an exhortation to humility. Titles have a necessary place when used appropriately. But the wise and righteous person should be so humble as to feel embarrassed when addressed with the title of honor, knowing that his wisdom and righteousness are gracious gifts. What do all the previous examples dealing with pride have in common? Anybody? All the things that we're not supposed to do, what do they have in common? Okay, yes. Yes. Who's around when this is happening? Are they by themselves? People, yes. Other people have to be there, right? What's the point of wanting for others to see that you are so great if no one's there? A lot of people. And in all instances, they're looking for the approval of man. What are reasons you think people want approval from others? I have a few. Maybe it's pride. You want others to see how great and talented you are. You like to hear how great and gifted you are by others. What about fear of man? You're more interested in what people think about you so you can to make sure to show the world how spiritual you are instead of just knowing that God sees your heart. You do this for acceptance. You want to be accepted among others. What about selfishness? By having positions of power, you want people to serve you instead of serving others. What does Jesus say about things, doing things for the approval of men? Let's go to Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. So when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that they may be honored by men. Truly I say to you that they have, re- they have their reward in full. But when you give to the poor, do not let your, hand know what your, right hand is, your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving will be in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. When you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the streets, on the street corners, so that they may be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. The theme of the lesson, again, is not to search, it's just not to search your heart for pride and hypocrisy and feel defeated. That's not the purpose here. It is to pinpoint the sin that you are struggling with so that you can repent from it, renew your mind with God's word, God's truth, and put on righteousness. Jesus will now take this conversation 
and instruct on what true humility looks like, on how we can combat hypocrisy and pride. Part two, Jesus instructs on humility. And he starts instructing on humility by talking about prestige. Verse eight, but do not be called rabbi, for one is your teacher and you are all brothers. Jesus was addressing the crowds. Now he's addressing his disciples. He was saying to his disciples, don't seek to be called rabbi as there's only one true rabbi. Jesus is the teacher and the disciples were all brothers in the family of God. It is okay to strive for the calling of pastor, elder, deacon, or leader in the service of God. It is not okay to strive for this office if your only intention to do it is for the recognition of human praise. Verse 9. Do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father, he who is in heaven. A commentator wrote, Jesus was, of course, using the sense of spiritual father, indicating a superior spiritual position and even suggesting one's being a source of spiritual life. Members of the Sanhedrin, the high Jewish council, loved to be called the title father, especially when acting in official capacity. Only God is a true spiritual father, and his abode is in heaven. Verse 10, do not be called leader, for one is your leader, that is Christ. The Greek word for leader here means teacher. Since the context is referring to Christ and his disciples, he is letting them know, don't ever want to equate yourself with me. There is only one Christ. This is a reminder to all leaders, pastors, elders, overseers, leaders in the church, deacons. We shepherd God's flock, not our own. We serve the church of Christ, not our our own church. The sheep are Christ's disciples. They're not our disciples. And that Christ is the head of the church, not himself, not man. Now Jesus will give a second instruction on what true humility is, and it means putting others first. Bullet point B, and our last bullet point, serving others. Verse 11, but the greatest among you shall be your servant. But the greatest among you shall be your servant. This contrast is instead of wanting to be a leader with authority, be willing to be the servant first. This takes us back to the conversation when Jesus had with his disciples. Remember that one? Jesus, who is going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And what was Jesus' response? Those who are humble, like children are humble. Those that are willing to serve are going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Wanting to serve others others, rather than lead others because of the power and prestige that comes with it is a blessing. John 13, 14 says, If I then, the Lord and teacher, wash your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. 2 Corinthians 4, 5, this is the Apostle Paul writing, Apostle, he wrote half of the New Testament. For we do not preach ourselves but Christ, Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as your slaves, bondservants for Jesus' sake. That is what true biblical leadership looks like. Serving others first. Being a slave to Christ by serving others. By putting other interests first than yours. Lastly, verse 12. Whoever exalts himself shall be humbled, and whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. Whoever exalts himself shall be humbled, and whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. This verse right here is talking about eternity. 
those who exalt themselves now will be humbled in eternity. Those that humble themselves now will be exalted in eternity. What this verse is saying is, guys, if you practice the above mentioned, if this is if this characterizes your life, if you never repent from hypocrisy, pride, if you don't even see it, if you don't see yourself as a sinner in need of a Savior, well, chances are you probably aren't saved. So, on the other hand, if you are a believer who struggles with the sin of pride and hypocrisy, but because you have a new nature in Christ and the Holy Spirit indwells in you, you regularly are repenting and renewing your mind and putting on righteousness. This is not talking about you, that you're not going to go to heaven because you prideful and, and you're not humble. That's not what it's teaching here. Okay, This is for people that are like the Pharisees. Like many of them, their heart hasn't changed. They're, they're still living in their sinful nature. They don't see themselves as sinners in need of Savior. They're all constantly acting and practicing this type of behavior. Those are the ones that if they don't humble themselves now, they will be humbled to the rest of eternity. How do we apply these truths to our lives in 2023? There's four applications I have for you tonight. Number one, don't place burdens in your life that are not mandated in Scripture. Don't place burdens on your life that are not mandated in Scripture. You do good deeds to honor and love God. You do not do them to earn your salvation. Please know that. Also, like I mentioned earlier, don't burden others with your issues of conscience. Please, leave those to yourself. Number two, when you follow God's commands, do them to honor and please God, not men. For example, when you're going to obey your parents, obey them because it's the right thing to do. Not because, well, if I obey them, they're not going to drown me. That's not the right attitude. Or when you're fighting with your siblings and your parents ask you to stop, don't stop because I don't want to get in trouble. Stop because, hold on a second, I'm not serving the other. I'm not considering the other more important than myself right now. When you're working hard at your job, don't do it because you want a promotion. Oh, I'm only doing this because I want to get that promotion. No, do it because the Bible commands you to work hard as it was for the Lord. And when you do so, trust me, God will promote you himself if that's his will. But your job is to do it well and do it right, not for other people to see. When you're practicing for a sport, right? Do it because you want the team to do better. Not, I just want to outshine everyone so everyone can see me and give me the, the glory at the end of the game and give me the high fives because of how great I was. No, you practice to do better for the team so the team can do well when you compete. Number three, check your heart for hypocrisy and pride. Check your heart for hypocrisy and pride. Put off that sin, meaning stop doing it. Renew your mind with Scripture. Today's passage is a great passage to renew your mind with Scripture. All the cross-references that we mentioned today are all tied to pride, hypocrisy. You can go back to those and meditate on that Scripture to renew your mind of what is God's truth and put on righteousness. What is the best way to do so when it comes to humility, when it comes to hypocrisy and pride? I just said it. Put on humility. Put on humility. Serve another and consider them more important than yourself. Lastly, 
praise God that he has given us a way and hope to not be slaves to sin and to be sanctified by his word. Jesus told us that we should put off and we should put on. He just didn't tell us a list, don't do this. He told us, don't do this, but this is how a kingdom son will behave. Do this. And if you are a believer in Christ today, you have the Holy Spirit indwelling in you, and you can do it because of Him. Don't leave today as another sermon without a game plan. No, you have to leave with a game plan today. If the Lord convicted you, and you know that you struggle with hypocrisy and pride, you come out with a game plan today. The game plan is all the lesson, literally, verses 1 through 12. Put off, renew your mind, and put on. And in your small groups, I want you to discuss all the verses and see which ones go around the room and say, which type of hypocrisy do you deal with? Which type of pride do you deal with? And see which of all the verses that you can meditate this week on to kill sin. Because that's, a, that's what we can do. Because we have Christ. Like the song that we're singing, not I, but through Christ who lives in me. So be encouraged and praise the Lord that we have His Holy Word to renew our mind and the power of the Holy Spirit to actually change. Don't think you can do this on your own. And stop thinking you can do this on your own. Because the reason you failed and you keep on failing is because you think you can do it on your own. You can only do it through the power of God. Amen? Amen? Right, let's pray. God, we thank you for your Word. We thank you for your clear instructions on putting off hypocrisy and pride, of renewing our minds with your truth, and putting on righteousness, which is serving one another. Father, help us live lives that honor you. Help us be salt and light to the world. Help us glorify your name in every moment that we can. Convict us of our sin when we do so. Help us change. And thank you for your Holy Spirit that allows us to do so. Thank you for your word that allows us to do so. Thank you, Father, for your word and for your conviction and your hope and the hope that we have in you. It is in your name we pray.